0: Kermit
1: the Frog here, and you're listening to The Mickey Dudes! Yay!
2: Hooray for Hollywood, and welcome to episode four of The Mickey Dudes Podcast. I'm your host, Mickey Dude Dave Koch, because Debbie was sick and the union sent me. And I'm joined tonight by our producer, Greg Nevis. I regret nothing. Ever. And our rotating Mickey Dude panelist, Chuck Fitzgerald. What do they know? They're tourists. Jeff Williams. Hello there. And from across the pond, Stephen Maxwell. It's an epic of miniature proportions. And before we get into our topic, let's take a moment to let you, our audience, get to know our rotating panelist. Who
0: <laughs> oh, are you? Hi, my name is Stephen Maxwell. I come from the largest town in Scotland, called East Kobayd which is about 30 miles from Glasgow. I first visited Walt Disney World in 1992 with two of my friends and the first be holiday from my parents. Although I always liked Disney and grew up with the usual film and shorts, it wasn't until I visited the world that I fell in love with the whole concept. I've now been about 12 times with somebody from the UK, is quite a lot. Favourite part would be Epcot, which I think may be an age thing. I said I love the whole concept of World Showcase that could spend day after day there. Favourite ride would still be Tower of Terror says even after twenty-two years. I actually went on the first week that it opened at Hollywood Studios. And my favourite resort was the Port Orleans Riverside. It's the only on-site resort that I've actually stayed at, but it has everything it has the ambience, the location, the transport and the theming all bring the resort together. Having stayed off site before, I don't think we get back to to that after experience in Riverside. My favourite film can be split into animated and live action. The animated one with the Lion King—it's a classic film, with fantastic songs and a great story. The live-action version would be uh, Tron Legacy. I'm growing up with the original Tron and loving it for so many years. To have a sequel coming out, Uh, I was so excited to see that. Well, that's me. I'm so proud to be part of the Mickey dudes and look forward to being part with you again. You
3: can follow me on SJM Disney on Twitter and Stephen Maxwell. On Facebook.
2: And tonight, our co-house Pat could cannot be with us. He's currently being evac'd off an attraction or something like that. Now, since Stephen is coming from us from Scotland, recording with him will prove to be a major challenge when one considers the time difference. Nevertheless, he will be making a regular contribution to us in the segment we are calling The Ranting Scotsman.
1: We're headed across the pond to The Ranting Scotsman. Stephen Maxwell
3: Okay, what's beaten my beef this week is the fact that Star Wars is out as of the 17th of December in the UK and is now going to be the biggest selling film of all time not just for Disney, Uh, obviously when they bought it from George Lucas, you know it's one of the biggest transactions at 4 billion dollars this taken over from uh, the the last biggest seller film, which was Avatar, which I'm sure at one point they did say there was going to be an Avatar land at uh, Animal Kingdom and they have broken ground there, but there has been very, very scant the least information with regards this. I just think that Disney are sort of holding back and they're trying to get things sorted with uh, Star Wars before they actually move on with Avatar. Uh, I think if there'd any choice in the matter that when Harry Potter came out and Universal took up their mantle with Harry Potter Land and the two big rides they've got there, they thought if any chance that George Lucas was going to be selling uh, Lucas films, that they should have held off and not actually went with Avatar. Because i think at the time yes it was the biggest seller and i think that, that what's the, the thing that's going to make the biggest money and possibly the biggest demand in the parks but i think if they thought the george lucas was any way gonna sell star wars and the, the lucas film franchise that they would have held off and never even looked at avatar i just feel as if that yes it will be a good park and yes it will do things well but the time and the effort that they're putting into this and the lack of information that's actually put into the domain is not very good at the moment. I just feel as if everything is so focused on Star Wars just now with the release of the new film that uh, they should be looking at that rather than anything that Avatar is actually getting portrayed. And it may well be that although they even have broken ground on that, that they may actually, not pull it, but it may well be a secondary park to uh, a possible Star Wars land. Susan, and today, this is what is poop the Angry Beer.
2: Thank you, Madun. Now, speaking of ranting, this brings us to our main topic. In past shows, we've had two or three must-dos in each park, but let's face it. Today, in the studios, there's not a whole lot to do. This sort of limits the conversation. So, gentlemen, tonight, let's just talk about one must-do in the studios. Greg,
1: let's start with you. We're going to take a look at, uh, heading over to one man's dream. If you are a fan of, of Walt himself, this is certainly a must do. Um, you know, after you, you've ridden tower of terror and, and star tours and rock and roller coaster, this is one that you can't miss because let's face it, who knows how much longer it's going to be here. Um, there are rumors of it closing. I don't know where those rumors stand, but if you want to learn a little bit about Walt, this is the place to go. I mean, it's it's a it's a great exhibit. It's got a lot of information about Walt and his his childhood and how he got into uh, drawing cartoons and eventually coming up with the character of Mickey Mouse. Um, and walking through, uh, there's a lot of neat displays uh, that that you can check out. And of course, at the end, there's about a 15 minute movie about Walt's life and and some really neat uh, models of the the castles at each of the parks. I mean, this is just something, if you're a fan of Walt, you just can't miss. And and we go every time. You know, it, it is time out of your day, um, but it's
2: it's certainly worthwhile.
1: Yeah, I, you must do it. It's I recommend
2: it highly. This is going to sound absolutely terrible, but it only takes me about 10 minutes and I blow through it. I have one time, really took time to really go through and check it out and spent about, about an hour or so, but I'm on vacation. I don't want to read. I'm an English teacher. I read for a living. The last thing I want to do is do anything educational on my trips. I get you, but and yeah, it's
1: certainly a learning experience, and you know, it it it's kind of like being back at school. You know,
2: I will say that I go watch the movie. The movie's great. I'll maybe go look at Walt's desk. Yeah, I'll watch the movie, and the, I'll sometimes tear up at the end of it. It's yeah. just to to stand there and go through and read every single thing on the walls. I I would love to, but time is money. I'm, I want to take some time and just be on on the lines for a ride. I don't want to waste my time in the museum. I'll, I can do that when I'm home. Yeah,
1: and I think a lot of people have that approach too. It's like, hey, I'm here paying you know a hundred and some dollars a day. I, I you know I can't I can't slow down to read a bunch of stuff. And I get that, but you know I think you know once you've hit those things that you want to hit, this is a nice way
2: to kind of slow down and you know just just learn a little bit. You know. I I totally agree. And honestly, I think, too, even though I do have the attitude I have with it, it would be complete blasphemy if they decided to ever take that attraction offline and not actually offer it in some capacity to uh, guests of the resort. Yeah, Agreed.
4: Yeah, if they kept it as a a blue sky seller type uh, attraction, I think that would be amazing. Uh, My first introduction to uh, the new fantasy world was their big uh, uh, scaled model. In there, and uh, so you know there is an opportunity to have all kinds of what's you know what's coming. Like they could totally just blow some people away with with some uh, models of Star Wars Land or Toy Story Land in there. So there is some opportunity. Question,
2: Jeff, your uh, when you were talking about Blue Sky, uh, did you see that in One Man's Dream or did you see that like in the Blue Sky cellar that they used to have at California Adventure?
4: Yeah, it was in the it was in One Man's Dream. Um, I've got some really cool pictures. I, I sat there and geeked out for about thirty minutes, taking panoramic views of uh, what you know the, the original plans of uh, you know New Fantasyland, and um, you know it it, it didn't come to, through fruition exactly like the plan, So it is an, another opportunity to see what they intended versus what you know what ends up in the the parks.
1: You know, and in another interesting thing about about it is, you know, this thing was designed to be a temporary, you know, exhibit um, back in, what, 2001 as part of that um, 100 Years of Magic celebration. So, the fact that it's been around this long, you know, I, I think goes a long way to say, hey, then if it's been around this long, it was supposed to be temporary, you know, let's keep it around permanently because... Beyond or prior to that, there was no place that you could go in the parks that you could learn anything about Walt. You know, so it, I think it needs to stay in some capacity. I agree that it needs to
5: stay. However, aren't they replacing the video?
4: I,
1: I don't know. I'm not sure about
4: that. The news The news just came out that they're going to be using uh, that theater for Zootopia previews so i guess that's precedence for hey we're not getting rid of this anytime soon we're gonna like you know maybe recycle it um so hopefully it will have legs and, and stick around
2: so sort of like how the opera house in disneyland does uh, different exhibits and then you walk into great moments of w- with mr lincoln steven what about you
3: yeah i just feel as if there's not enough put out there about walt disney the person in the parks uh actually promote what he's actually done uh, to bring it to where it is today and to have something like that to tell the story of where he started off right the way through to basically where Walt Disney World was actually kicking off and Disneyland you know started off with I think you have to have that in the park for not just the older generation that does remember Walt Disney but obviously for the younger folk that are actually turning up at the park and not just thinking it's a theme park you know Walt Disney is a lot more than just theme parks and films he was an, an inevitable person who brought a lot of things to not just the film life but into to modern day life as well and obviously thinking about epcot and stuff like that he, it really has to be shown out as the person he was rather than just the icon of walt disney a, a filmmaker the the maker of of Mickey Mouse and uh, of theme parks.
2: Alright Stephen, what's your must do at DHS? Yeah, the
3: the one thing that I loved at uh, Hollywood Studios was the Tower of Terror. Uh, It's a fantastic ride. Not just for the actual ride itself, but right from when you walk through the the main door at the Tower of Terror. The theming and the the gardens as you walk through the, the queue, uh, the actual the architecture when you're walking through the, the sort of atrium prior to actually getting into the building is, is just fantastic, uh, it has the ambient music from the sort of 1920s uh, running right the way through it. You walk into the, the sort of foyer of a, a hotel that has gone into disrepair due to the fact that it has not been used in years. Uh, there is the dust, the, the it looks as if it's been you know, just people have just left all of a sudden. It's like a Marie Celeste. So you get your, your mahjong table where the game is only halfway through. Uh, you get the bellhop that is standing there next to the the elevator prior to you get through to the pre-show. Uh, the, the bell goes, you get through into the pre-show and the lights just crash down. Uh, there's nothing there apart from the television, it just gives you static then it kicks into the, the Twilight Zone music and it just sends a, a shiver right up the back of your spine. This is just from that moment onwards you feel as if you're going into something special and then when Rod Sterling comes out and starts telling you the story of what's happened before You know with the hotel and the guests and the tragic moment where the the lift goes down and crashes to the ground you know you're in for a a ride and a half when you get through the gate through through the door into the the next part into the sort of the basement side of it it's so it's, it takes you out from a, a normal ride. There's no ride really like this that can take you into the the dungeon and the workings of a a hotel and it's a basement. Uh, once you hit it, the the actual elevator itself, this is and you get strapped in. Didn't use you know? It's you feel as if what's going to happen here because if you don't actually see what's happening prior to the, the ride it, it's, it's such an experience uh, and you get thrown up into the, the first section and you see the holograms of the the ghosts sort of beckoning you into the, the hotel as if come on join us join us as if you're going to die uh the next step when you you get thrown up again in the elevator and taken through to the uh, the drag through to the actual elevator shaft, and you see yourself in the the big eye as you walk through, it's it's so surreal. Uh, when you actually get to the elevator and it clamps you down, and you don't know what's actually happened next, you get thrown up in the air or you drop down. You've there's no there's no dictation of what you're actually going to, what, what direction you're going to be going in. This is, it's one of these rides where they're so random now that uh, it throws your stomach left, right and centre. This is, and The views you see over the park, this is when you get thrown up to the top, it's so dramatic. You can see right the way over uh, the top of the, the Chinese Theatre uh, and it used to be over the, the the Mickey Head as well, but it's it just keeps you going for so long and the drops getting put up and down and up and down just it throws your senses out left right and center this is my favorite ride of all time and Walt Disney World Uh, I remember going there in 1994 this is just when it just opened and within the first week of opening we'd actually you know attended the studios And at that point it was only one drop that you had but just now it's traversed on just you know ultimate of so many drops and random drops that you don't know what you're getting it's it's so inspiring and it just you you don't know what you're going to get but it is, it's my favorite ride of all time at the studios.
2: I think the cast members that work that ride probably have some of the most fun in that park. they in the Haunted Mansion must be like the gold standard of ride operator jobs.
3: Just having the stone faced
2: all the time.
1: What do you think? Uh, I find that attraction to be more, mm, I think i would say intimidating at night than during the day because at night when you're in that... Um, the, the shaft and, and you drop and those doors open and you look outside and see the lights of the park it's almost like you can't get your bearings and I find it even more um, just it, it's a totally different, different experience at night than it
2: is during the day don't you think you know what I freak out no matter what if I am on that ride when I'm in that queue I'm thinking to myself what am I doing this is absolutely insane why am I doing this I'm just starting to get <laughs> major anxiety, I feel my heart in my throat, I, I'm i gasping for breath sometimes before I get on the ride, then finally that first little uh, jolt upwards and you feel yourself coming out of the seat, and no matter what you just start screaming, and then you feel yourself drop, and then by the second or third drop you're like, okay, this is really fun. Uh, I don't want this to stop. Next thing you know, it's coming to its last stop, and you're thinking, ah, man, it's over already after all that? Come on, I want more. It never ceases to amaze me, the range of emotions I go through on that ride. I kind of wish that it could be done all the time. Yeah, it's like... And that... I get back on the line, and then I have that same anxiety of, what am I doing again? I can ride it three times in a row, and it would be the same exact thing. It's just... I don't know, it's just kind of, that ride plays with my mind. It could be day or night and I
3: still have that same issue. If you think about the amount of people that actually are scared of elevators in the first place, you know, for this to to be an attraction that people are, are desperate to go on is is something out of the ordinary, you know, because I know people that are not going elevators would rather go up on an escalator or up the stairs rather than going in an elevator. Not just because of this ride yeah this might not help things but it's just the fear of actually getting into an enclosed box and then getting thrown up and down at random aspects of the ride and just (laughs) just having your stomach left left right and center i
2: know my father will not ride the uh, ride because he's been stuck in elevators many times about six or seven times in his life and he refuses. He, I've told him, you know what? If you're there, you should just go through the queue, check out all the theming, and then take the chicken exit. He can't even bring himself to walk through the gates. That's how much of a fear that this ride brings brings out in him. At that, even to just go through the chicken exit.
4: Yeah, uh, yeah. I have a funny story. So, you know, I'm enamored with the theming, and um, I'm the only, I guess, so-called daredevil in in my family. And so, I. I you know, there's, it's fun to experience a lot of this stuff on your own, but, some, you know, you want people to experience it with you, right? And I'm tired of sometimes, you know, always being with strangers <laughs> screaming together. But but I I finally talked to my family and do it. You know, the whole intention is you walk through the queue, you go through the, the, the bowels of the hotel and, you know, see the boiler room, and then obviously, you know, do the chicken exit uh, to leave. And uh, my youngest one, she was probably about five, and, you know, you see the from the exterior see the screaming and the the drops uh, sequences uh it was everything my wife could do to get her on that the elevator th- just to exit the ride because she thought that was the ride <laughs> so it was kind of funny i don't they don't really emphasize that but it was <laughs> she 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 thought for sure that we were just tricking her and we were really
2: getting her on the <laughs> ride. that is hilarious i know with um The Backstage Magic Tour, they were telling me one time that uh, if a kid is too short, and they know all the tricks of heightening their shoes and everything, and they can basically tell, but if a kid tries to get on, he's too short, and they start to throw a tantrum, what they do is they put both parents on, and the cast members take the kid, and they dress him up as a bellhop, and he gets to close the door, he gets to play the whole little uh, part of... uh, have a good stay if you dare and all that. And then he gets to open it up afterwards. And they give him a certificate that says that when he comes back, when he's tall enough, he or she, of course, when, when they're tall enough to come back, they can ride the ride. With, and it's a golden fast pass right to the front of the line. So on top of that, marketing for Disney is a genius because now this kid is going to be coming back because his parents got to ride, everybody else got to ride, and he didn't. He, that kid's going to go home and rant and rave until, their parents, until the parents break down and book another trip to Disney World just so he or she could ride that ride at this point and use that golden Fast Pass that they give him that's good for the duration. It's marketing genius. That's freaking cool. Yeah. All right, so moving on. Jeff, what's one of your must-dos? Well, look, I, obviously I, I love
4: Hollywood Studios, yeah, a.k.a. MGM Studios. Um, the, I love all the rides. love all the attractions. I'm going to go kind of uh, off-kilter a little bit and go uh, with a food item. You know, a lot of people talk about it. I don't know if everybody knows about it, but uh, one of the must-dos for me is grabbing a carrot cake cookie from the writer's stop.
2: Oh, that is so awesome.
4: I know. I mean, they're massive. You know, most people probably would share them. I'm just just not like most people. (laughs) I'll down the whole thing myself. Um, It's really strange. I I tell this to everybody. I'm not a huge fan of carrot cake, but so this obviously is loosely called a carrot cake cookie. So uh, it's really probably classified as a whoopie pie but i love going to rider stop and grabbing one of those um uh, used to be you you know rider stop was a little bit more of a lounge uh where you could sit down and enjoy uh sit back and enjoy the ac obviously uh they took all the chairs out unfortunately so they you know they have standing tables but um still sometimes the Starring rolls bakery will have them but that is definitely a must do for me. Um, you know, the calorie intake is, is a necessity in uh, Disney World to <laughs> keep you going.
2: I definitely agree with you. And on top of that, you are definitely in good company with uh, host Pacinetti, considering he uh, is a monster when it comes to his ice cream sandwiches, and his children are begging him for a bite, and he just towers over them, eating it, letting them, just torturing them and not sharing any but any bit of it so i can totally see the two of you in the studios him with his ice cream sandwich you with your carrot cake cookie being like ah it's mine which one of these days we need to get we need to get a video of that that would just be epic gentlemen any of you else and any of you have the carrot cake cookie
3: i have not i've not the carrot cake cookie no see
2: i'm not a carrot cake guy either but it was just I, when I was there one time, everybody was raving about this carrot cake cookie. So I went in, saying, "Okay, how bad, how, how good can this be?" Because I'm really not a carrot cake guy, but far be it for me to uh, not at least give something a try. And this thing was pretty good. A little bit too much frosting for me. I had to get a, I had to take a big dab of it off and just kind of just smear the rest of it around. But. Uh, yeah, I can understand why it lives up to the hype that it does.
4: Yeah, it's interesting, you know. Obviously, if I'm sitting here at home, I don't think I would, you know, hork down this massive uh, carrot cake cookie. Like I said, it's more like a whoopie pie. It's kind of like you know eating probably two cupcakes <laughs> the size it is. But uh, you know, you know as well as I do, you know, you're walking around Disney World. You're doing probably twenty thousand steps, you know, <laughs> in the heat, and it's just like it's the perfect thing to keep me going. <laughs>
2: just pure energy. Perfect. Thanks, Jeff. All right, so I guess we'll go over to me now. So I'm going to be uh, giving something a little obscure that most people think is time for mothballs, but for me, it's definitely Voyage of the Little Mermaid. Uh, yes, it could be said that I like to see Ariel's clamshells, but on top of that, the thing that really I enjoy about that uh, th- that attraction is the under-the-sea puppet... Uh, Puppet number that they do at the beginning. I have been known just to go into the attraction just to watch that and sit at the end so I can just make an early exit and continue on to make a fast pass for either Tower of Terror or Rock and Roller Coaster, but there's just something about the puppetry in that that just always makes me smile. The rest of the story is kind of lame the way they do it. I know they have some limited resources with that, but that under-the-sea puppet uh, tiering is just uh, beyond... uh, enjoyable for me any thoughts i believe there's air conditioning in there am i correct <laughs> there is air conditioning actually so then i love it and <laughs> it's also a good place to duck out of the rain the seating area uh
4: waiting for the show is pretty cool uh it's themed uh pretty well as what uh from what I remember.
2: I'm surprised that they used the lasers, and maybe it's my EMS background uh, coming out, but I'm just waiting for, like, a story of, like, a whole bunch of people going into an epileptic fit and the lasers going uh, off at that point. I've always said this is an accident waiting to happen. And with that, we will go to Chuck. My
5: must-do for Hollywood Studios is simple. I mean, we talked about all the other lands, but there's one thing that really epitomizes the park, whether it be from the beginning when it was MGM to what it is kind of now which is all the behind the or less of the behind the scenes stuff and more movies and that's the great movie ride it's the first thing you see when you come into the park it takes you through so many lands and journeys and movies almost all of them are timeless um could it use a refurb could it use an update absolutely um not too many people remember the alien movie and not too many people like that scene anyways but that's the attraction that I absolutely first remember going on back when I went, and it was still MGM. It was the icon of the park for the longest time until they put up the hat. And then, you know, even still, it's not something that you can skip um, because of... It's right there. It's right in the middle. It's it's really the icon of the park at this point. And it covers everything that that park stood for and I think still should stand for. Um, it, it's absolutely not to be missed. What, uh, what do you guys think?
2: Is it me, or am I the only one that's sick and twisted enough that loves watching little children freak out during the alien scene? <laughs> well, I don't think that's sick or twisted. It, sometimes it's, it's just so hilarious, and I try to be as serious as possible with it, but I just can't, I just can't help myself from snickering at that point. It's just, I, I, I know, I'm probably a terrible person, but... I just find it hilarious, but I also find it hilarious when families have meltdowns in the park, so that's just me.
5: Well, I'm not here to judge you on what you think is uh, hilarious, but I could definitely see your point on that one.
2: Aside from screaming babies, what do you guys think? Well,
1: I think poor Sigourney at one point probably looked pretty good, but that <laughs> that audio animatronic, man, that's, that's in sad, sad shape. It looks like her face is starting to melt off.
2: I mean, if they're going to make an animatronic of her, they have to make it with her head shaved. That would be interesting. Wasn't she, Wasn't it shaved for the movie, or was that like one of the... Uh, that was one of the sequels. I sequels. don't know if that was two or three,
3: but yeah, oh, she okay. did do that. Yep. So I think that'd be more scary than the alien, seeing her wear a shaved head. And I know about shaved heads. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what about some of the other sections? I mean, people talk about the witch being one of the greatest animatronics at there. I personally cannot stand the Wizard of Oz. There are two things, two movies that I would rather gargle draino than have to sit through. One of them is the Wizard of Oz. The other one is The Sound of Music. Uh, judge me, I know, but it's just it's just who I am. With that said, though, what do you guys what do you guys think is the is the hype of the uh, witch? Uh, is the hype of the witch uh, worth it, or is there other better animatronics out there?
4: I guess it does what it's intended for. I mean, they do a lot of smoke uh, effects to try to hide up uh, some of its uh, lack of movement. But, I mean, it it gets the job done. I think for the time it was fantastic.
5: And you know what? Even still, it's a fantastic animatronic. However, I do think we need to uh, revisit David. And what do you mean you can't stand The Wizard of Oz? I I think we're going to have to look for a new host if that's the case. It is an all-time
2: classic movie. I think I was just forced too many times as a child to watch it, and just growing up with ADD, I think it was too much of the sit down and shut up. And it's <laughs> the same thing with the, it's the same thing with sound the music. I remember one of the first times rebelling against my grandmother saying that I don't want to listen to this uh, lady singing the hills, but I used a couple of other choice words and got. Uh, The beating of a lifetime, and to this day I hear music from both of the movies, and I have this overwhelming need to defend myself because I feel like I'm about to be attacked. It's childhood trauma, what can I tell you? And that's not just from the Germans. I think you're making
5: an excuse.
2: The little hairs on my neck stand on end whenever I hear the Munchkins say "Follow the Yellow Book Road," yellow and yellow yellow. whenever I hear whenever I hear Edelweiss. So it just is how, what it is.
4: They could use some flying monkeys in there, I think. Then that'd spice things up a little bit.
2: That would capitalize on my fear, and I would actually be into into that. That would actually be a little bit entertaining and scary at the same same point for me. That would totally bring the Tower of Terror effect to that movie for me. Anybody else any other scenes from that any other scenes that are memorable well
4: I mean I, I'm a huge classic movie fan uh, <clears throat> the uh, the ending of The Wizard of Oz is kind of strange it uh, there's a contractual obligation with uh, Ted Turner uh, they couldn't show the main characters more than 18 seconds so it, it always just seems really bizarre when you're leaving that main main room. And they just you just get a flash of them like that's the that's like you know that's the money shot we we all want to see those characters but we only get to see eighteen seconds of it so I, I was hoping when we went to this Turner Classic Movie uh, deal we would get maybe a boost on that and maybe maybe it's not out of the question but it's definitely not high priority
2: what if the ride breaks down do they have to pay Turner Classic Movies so much more money now if if uh, guests are seeing it longer <laughs> I, it's a good point they'll probably turn off the film.
3: Yeah, I think it might be like the airplanes where, rather than an oxygen mask falls down from the sky, it'll be a a bandana so you can put it over your eyes. No more than 18
2: seconds. A smoke screen comes over the over the ride. I have a friend that actually used to uh, be a uh, driver on that uh, attraction. As a matter of fact, we'll try to get her on to talk about those days when she worked when she worked there on the Great Movie Ride, and that would be an interesting question to ask her. Actually, obviously. Uh, what they would have to do with that and she can probably elaborate more because i would love to hear the uh some of the times when she had to uh play the part of the uh of the sorcerer in the egyptian temple i'm sure that job can get interesting at times so with that said uh, uh wondering which one do you guys prefer do you prefer the uh, cowboy scene or the gangster scene the cowboy scene
4: absolutely
3: anybody else yeah explosions definitely cowboy scene, yeah, cowboy scene as well Never, never, ever been into a gangster.
2: Yeah, I go along with that. Yeah. Anybody remember offhand? Is it the first car you get in to get the cowboy scene, and the second one for the gangsters, or is it the other way around? Because the rides are two uh, two cars long, and one of them will one of them the cowboys going on, and simultaneously in the in the back room, the other one is going on.
4: Yeah, the first one is the cowboy. They uh, get the gate explosion, and if you do it the gangster, you're going through basically the smoke of the of the explosion. That's what I always remember. You can request uh, either one. It's just one of those things. you got time.
3: I don't think I've ever been on the cowboy one. It's, uh, the, only, the only one I remember has always been the gangster one. I don't know if I've maybe just been unlucky, but I never actually knew there was two different elements to it.
2: Yeah, for the longest time, I was just getting the gangster one, and then all of a sudden, one day, I got the uh, cowboy one, and I was pleasantly surprised.
1: Yeah, you know, I think I prefer the, the cowboy because the gangster... Anytime we've been on it and had that, the actor just can't master that accent and they just, they they butcher it something
3: fierce. I think it's just coming from New York (laughs) or Chicago.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Probably. I mean, our our listeners are going to become uh, experts in accents between you and me, Stephen. Yeah. And that's going to do it for us today, ladies and gentlemen. We thank you for listening. And just remember one little spark of inspiration is at the heart of all creation right at the start of everything that's new one little spark lights up for you have a magical day everybody
1: you've just listened to another exciting episode at the mickey dudes podcast you can find the mickey dudes on facebook at the mickey dudes podcast and on twitter at the mickey dudes if you enjoyed our podcast please share the love on stitcher or itunes thank you for tuning in and we'll see you again real soon
2: I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too.